Hello, this is Mary Lee, and you're listening to On the Wings of Love, a Bachelor podcast. A Bachelor fanatic's review and analysis of all your favorite Bachelor contestants. Have you ever been on vacation and just wish you had someone with a better camera, with a better eye, who could capture that perfect photo for your memory? Well, now you can. There's an app called Flytographer, and let me tell you, they're freaking amazing. So I use Fly Photographer on my trip to Honolulu with my husband, and I cannot recommend them enough. Going on their website, I was able to pick a photographer of a number of photographers. I was able to see their past work, and then I was able to even pick the shooting location. And so in this one space, I was able to pick a photographer, see their rate, and schedule everything in one app. So with this code, you can book your fly photographer shoot anywhere in the world. I'm talking anywhere from Rome to Paris to Fiji, wherever you want to go. The code is Merrily Green. That's M-A-R-I-L-E-E, green with an E at the end. And with this, you can get $50 off your next shoot. All right. Well, welcome back. Um, it is now the middle of summer. Um, and we have so much has happened in bachelor nation. Uh, so obviously paradise is not happening this summer, but instead, um, they, the producers have decided to share old seasons on our Monday night. So, uh, lately we've had Chris Harrison narrate several different, um, episodes of former bachelor and bachelorettes. Um, they started with Sean Lowe, then Caitlin Bristow, and then Ben Higgins, Jojo Fletcher. And finally, this week, they did the very first season of The Bachelor and the Bachelorette with Alex Michelle and Trista Sutter. So, um, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you guys because uh, you listen to my podcast. Um, you know, Sean Lowe was, what, six years ago, maybe seven Um And then Caitlin was five years ago and everyone else was less than that, like three or four years ago. So if you've been watching the show for a while, you remember those seasons. I mean, you probably at least remember Caitlin and beyond. Um, Sean's season was pretty great. Uh, I, I almost recapped that, but the moral of the story is nothing is like the first season. And for those of you who've never watched the first season, I have a treat for you today. Um, I decided to bring on, Someone else who watched this back with me in 2002, um, an original person of uh, Bachelor Nation herself, um, a a fan of the show for the last 18 years, give or take. Um, So let me introduce you to my mother. Hey, Marilee. (laughs) So mom, um, they don't know this, but you've never listened to the podcast, have you? Never. And that's hilarious. I thought you were my biggest fan. I am your biggest fan, but I just never have listened to your podcast. So this is a first. I get to be on it, and I guess I get to listen. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, for all you out there who, uh, you know, you want all your best friends to listen, sometimes our best friends don't even listen to what we do. But that's okay. There's plenty of strangers out there, and I appreciate you, and I love your comments, and um, I appreciate your your feedback and your uh, support on iTunes. So anyway, I just want to thank you again to my loyal listeners. So mom though, back to you. Okay. 
So this aired in March 2002, which was about six months after 9-11, because 9-11 was September 2001. Um, And back then, the world was used to trashy TV shows (laughs) about love, like Singled Out on MTV and Temptation Island on Fox. Um, But The Bachelor was trying to market itself differently, it seems. Um, Their first Bachelor, Alex Michelle, he was this uh, intelligent man. He went to Harvard undergrad, His went to Stanford for his MBA. They showed that he was an accomplished swimmer, that he was driven, uh, and he was handsome. So um, let's just start there, Mom. Like, do you remember back in 2002 what reality television was like? This was really the reality television that I saw. I didn't really watch reality television. Right. Well, and that's what the point I would kind of make is that there wasn't a lot of reality TV. There was a few shows on MTV throughout the 90s. Um, And then in 2001, uh, Temptation Island had its first season on Fox, which I did not watch. I don't remember watching that show. Um, But yeah, so my question is, why did you let us watch this? This was kind of paving the way, you know, and here at the time I was a 15 year old girl. Um, so how did, how do you remember getting into it? Were we begging you to watch the TV show? Did you turn it on and we followed? Do you remember? I really don't remember the reason, but I know that ever since you and Kathleen started watching TV in the evening, I would watch shows like Saved by the Bell and Dawson's Creek with you all so that we could be together. Because I worked as a teacher, and then you all were in all these activities, so the, a nice time to be together would be dinner, and then after dinner, you'd finish your homework, and then we'd sit down and watch an hour of TV together. Right. So this was a way in which we could be together and kind of enjoy watching something that was appealing and fun, and the fact that you mentioned the qualifications of this bachelor, well, it, it's he sounded really proper and not very risque and it sounded as if it would probably be an okay show for my teenage girls to watch right so wait that brings up a good point like you said he sounded proper um were you were you used to watching like wholesome family friendly content like what what was it that was on our television screens at you know eight o'clock nine p.m that people were watching Well, a lot of comedy shows and um, like all American apple pie shows because of families. Uh, Today, that's not the case because we have so much out there um, that's not appropriate that students and children can get a hold to by just flipping a switch or playing their remote. But back then, you know, it was the major um, networks that we were watching Um, it's like crazy to think back how long ago that was. I mean, I would have been a freshman in high school. My sister, uh, was a senior in high school. So I guess you could say it was a little more appropriate for her, but you know, once you're kids in high school, anything's appropriate. Um, that being said, this truly paved the way, like, you know, truly like back then, the only other shows were trashy MTV shows. Um, Temptation Island a year later was Joe Millionaire, uh, which was kind of the premise, um, that this guy, they, they told all the girls he was a millionaire 
and they all were vying for his heart, very much like The Bachelor. And then at the very end, whoever he picked, uh, the producers then had to tell her he's not a millionaire. And so the girl had to then pick, well, I'm going to, am I going to date the guy or am I going to get a million dollars? And um, so it was just a crazy, crazy show concept. But, uh, you know, that didn't work. People didn't really like that. Uh, but people like this family friendly content, as you're saying. Um, uh, so speaking of like this first bachelor, you know, you said he was um, wholesome. What was the word you used? Proper. I used the term proper. And I guess yeah. the reason I said that is because he just wasn't someone they got off the street. They actually did research to find someone that would be, as you said, well-educated. He went to, I mean, let's face it, Harvard and Stanford are top universities. Um, he was well-spoken. He was well-educated. He was very attractive and appealing. And I can see how, and I remember how these young women would have been attracted to him because right. they figured, well, hey, I marry him. He'll take care of me the rest of my life, you know, that sort of thing. Um, all right. I just want to note a few other random things. Uh, the style, God, the style back then in 2002, first of all, the hair, all the women had their hair, um, like they'd put it in the, in the back and then they'd have strings of hair hanging down the front of their face. Do you remember that style? I do, but they wanted to look glamorous. <laughs> they definitely wanted to make an impression upon him when they got out of the limo and the thing that impressed me is the style of dress is so improved. I don't think they had dressers back then. I think they left it to the young ladies to choose what they thought would be the appealing outfit to wear in the beginning. And in some cases, some had very little taste and others had great taste. And it could have been financial. You know, some people can afford a better outfit than another one. And they've improved with the show because they do have dressers who, who choose clothes for them. Well, actually, and speaking of that, before you continue with that, they actually they actually only have dressers for the final episode. So I'm okay. not sure if you knew that. So, for example, the lead has a dresser. So Alex Michelle would have ha would have a dresser now, but all of the women do not. So the only time they get dressed and their makeup done is the very final episode when the proposal happens. So I think you, but you do bring up a great point that, you know, depending on uh, their financial status or what other clothes they had in their closet, some of these women were buying, were probably not buying an entire new wardrobe to go on this reality show. You know, they probably are wearing, were wearing what they had. Um, and that's just part of how the show has evolved. The show has evolved to kind of show us fashion. But at the time, uh, you make a great point. It wasn't about fashion back then. Um, also, I, I think this is crazy. His suit was so ill-fitting. It's so baggy. And I know dad, my father, um, also wore ill-fitting suits back in the 90s. So was that just the style? Like why? That was the style. I really don't think. First of all, people didn't, men did not wear, they wore khakis for casual. That I mean, khakis have been around for a long time. And most khaki pants were not that fitted. They were loose, okay? And suits were loose compared to jeans that were tighter fitting, okay? So I think that was somewhat the style because I noticed in the Bachelorette, the men's suits the next year were, were not 
snug at all. They were, you know, maybe off the rack and no tailoring. I think that's the key right there. The, sh the sh suits were not tailored to fit the person. Let's go back to the first season. So here are some differences I spotted um, that are blaringly obvious. Um, number one, so they don't show the age of the women. So they just show the name of the woman and her occupation and her hometown. The name, uh, the age was not a factor. So America was not blasting. You know, we weren't blasted with, oh, this girl's 24, that girl's 29, um, which I think is fascinating. They, they really weren't making this an ageist thing. Uh, so I don't know. I appreciated that. Um, second, the women received real long stem roses um, at the rose ceremony. Um, nice touch. You know, back then I remember, I think I got long stem roses for Valentine's Day when I was 16 or 15 maybe. And it was, you know, the first time I had ever received a long stem rose. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see how that has an effect on women when they get long stem roses from their bachelor. Um, now they're just fake roses. Um, third, Why the mansion. Why they're fake now? I think it's it's harder to pin them on these people. You know, now they have like a magnetic clip. Um, it's just, it's easier because you got to think about it. Pinning a flower like a corsage on a gentleman, like a boutonniere, pinning a boutonniere, that's hard. Like you got to make sure you don't stab the person's skin and <laughs> it's annoying. So I think they, they learned over time that, you know, they're going to create some systems. So it's just quick and easy and not a big conversation. Um, but so the third difference is that this mansion, this is a different mansion. Um, did you notice that when you were watching this, did the mansion look different to you? What do you mean by looking different? What do you mean? I, I mean, this is not the bachelor mansion. There is one bachelor mansion that has been used for more than the last 10 years. Um, but specifically pretty much every season in the last 10 years, I should also note that the bachelor mansion that we are all so familiar with that wasn't even built into in, until 2005. So that means that, so the first several seasons of the bachelor and bachelorette were not in this, the bachelor mansion as we know it. I think they um, probably just rented a, a found a, a lovely home and uh, asked the owners if they could rent it for yeah. the TV purposes and um, it worked out well. Yeah, but it's just it's so interesting watching back and going, wait, this is not what we're used to. Um, also, the rose ceremony, the first rose ceremony, I don't know if you noticed this, Mom. Um, being a teacher, you might pick this up. Um, the women stood in kind of like a semicircle. They just all stood on ground level in, in this wide, wide, like, semicircle. Whereas now, and for the last several seasons, they've stood on risers. So then that elevates the women. And you can see all the women in one shot. Um, yeah, did you notice that? Because I you're have. a choral I director. That how it's, I, kinda, I enjoyed seeing the, the horseshoe effect. Because it would be hard for the cameraman to zoom in on everyone. So they zoom in on certain people. Okay? And it's emotion. They're playing on emotions. And it's drama, whereas it's not staged, okay? And they staged it with the risers, and they want to see everybody at one clip to see the emotions 
of the women from a distance when somebody's name is called out or the same thing about the men. Right. No, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly why they do it. Um, yeah. And another difference throughout the whole season was that they ate meals. Like they actually had meals. I remember there was one date they showed with Alex, Michelle and like six women at dinner. And I'm thinking, God, that is so awkward. Like one guy, six girls sitting down to dinner. That's just, and he's trying to date all of them, you know? So let's talk about where these women are from, their careers, and the standout women of the season. So they show that these women are from all over, you know, Texas to Alaska, East Coast, West Coast. Um, They're all over the country. And I should note the women were everything from an attorney to a financial assistant, event planner, Miami Heat dancer. So, you know, various careers. Uh, They weren't all just entrepreneurs or teachers, which is Later on, we get a lot of those professions. Um, and I also want to note this, and I don't, I don't know if you picked up on this, Mom. Lanise was the only black woman. And I should also note, not only was she the only black woman, but uh, when they showed the rose ceremony, they showed one Asian woman. So they had one Asian woman, one black woman, and 23 white women. Did you, did you notice that? Oh, yeah. But I think so, it was, and, and honestly, merely, um, I'm not too surprised. So I, I think that it was interesting that there was very little representation. Um, oh, okay. Who made that decision? Was it the producers? Yes. So the first night happens. He picks 15 women. Uh, Amanda is the first person he calls. But I don't know if you noticed as well, there was no first impression, Rose. So that's something they created along the way. Um, as I said before, there was only one black and one Asian person in the whole first season. Uh, and they, they had to show us, which I thought was fascinating that they, they showed us about four or five of the roses he gave that first night. And they definitely showed us those two because they wanted to show us back then in 2002, we cared about diversity, but the reality is they didn't. And that season they had one black and one Asian. And as we come to learn in the next few seasons, Sometimes they had zero black Asian, zero black people or zero Asian people. So, you know, I think they were trying to pretend that they had diversity, but very minimal back in the early days. Um, I don't think it was important to them. No, it wasn't. And, and I'm actually curious, like you watching television, you watch your soap operas and you, you know, you said back in 2002, you watched a lot of soap operas. Um and you watch CBS soaps, right? Correct. There was CBS, there was ABC, there was NBC, like all of the networks had soap operas. Uh, was there a representation in the soap operas? Were there Latinos? Were there blacks? Were there people of non-white ethnicity on your TV screen? On The Young and Restless, they had uh, more blacks than perhaps on The Bowl and the Beautiful. Those were the two that I watched. So you're saying by 2002, the, the soap operas you watched, uh, some of them had a good amount of representation and some did not. Correct. Okay. So that's, that's interesting to know. Um, it, I mean, television in general wasn't nearly as diverse as it is now. Um, but anyway, getting to it's the first season. What are the first things? So we have hot tubs, we have private planes, um, we have kisses, um, I noticed there wasn't a lot of kissing. Like kissing was kind of rare on this first season. Uh, 
So he kissed Lanise for his first kiss under a bridge in Vegas. Um, he obviously kisses his final two, Amanda and Trista, but it doesn't appear that he's kissed a lot of these women. Um, and, you know, back to the whole like friendly, family friendly vibe that we've been talking about. Um, you know, he has this conversation. Okay. And I just want to recall this conversation he had with Shannon. So he was on a date with her and he was in the car and said, I want to hear about these rules you live by. What does it mean to be a good girl? And how does that relate to sex? And she said, um, well, you're putting me on the spot. And he apologized. And she said, I think you see how awkward I feel right now. And you just don't care. Um, and so she clearly was offended that he was trying to get into her head about how sexual she was willing to be. And then he brings her along the whole season to the final three and, you know, presents her the fantasy sweet card, which basically says we could spend a night together. And I don't know if you remember this part, mom, but she said, I was thinking how funny it would have been if you would have broken out the Alex and Amanda card or the Alex and Trista card, because I'm sure you have one of these for all of the dates. That's what I was thinking, to be honest. So what did you think about that, mom? Were you used to seeing, I mean, do you think that she was, uh, was this normal that women were kind of prudish on television or did she seem kind of weird? I don't think she was prudish. I just think that she was letting him know that that was an intimate act that she wanted to have if she was the one. But she was, she, with three women being in contention, she did not want to be, um, she didn't want to be, in, be involved in that. She wanted a commitment from him before she would be that committed to him. Well, the way it was edited back then was as if she was kind of like the villain and she was weird. And I remember watching, like, at least my memory serves me that she was not uh, the one I was rooting for. At least she was edited in such a way that you didn't like Shannon. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she was just being like bold and telling him, like, this is what I expect. Like, if you don't want to respect my boundaries, then I don't need to date you. But it, it seemed watching back that she had boundaries she was laying out for him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he seemed to like her. So I guess she assumed, well, if you really like me, you'll uh, you'll work within these confines of my boundaries. Uh, but that's kind of a more, uh, you know, wholesome way to live right was that kind of the norm were you were you proud back watching this back were you thinking that is the way to live or did you like how let's flip it with amanda amanda then bragged about how she bought um a trapeze for a previous um lover of hers and she was very sexual uh you know very different uh ways to approach sexuality the way Amanda approached it and the way uh, Shannon approached it. So watching this and, and you are there, you're their viewer, right? Like you are their prime viewer. I was so young. Most girls my age were not watching the show. So what resonated with you, Amanda's approach or Shannon's? I did not care for Amanda. I thought she was a little bit too bold in her behavior and if you see present day, after they interviewed her today, you can understand 
she's not in a marriage today. Um, and we don't know what's happened to this bachelor. However, Shannon seems like she's a very happy woman today with two children. And uh, she waited for the man who would accept her for, on her terms. So back then, you know, I didn't necessarily think the fantasy suite was necessary. Um, so I want to note something about Amanda. Um, so they didn't show this. I watched this on like behind the scenes clip. She actually is. <laughs> I hate that you said that because that, that kind of is like slut shaming her. Um, you know, do you, do you feel that mom? You're kind of like slut shaming her. I'm what? Slut shaming. I don't know what that means, barely. Okay, slut shaming is when you make women feel bad for being sexual. So, like, on the season, Amanda, they got muddy at one point, and they were in an outdoor shower, and she asked Alex to rub the mud off of her, and, um, you know, she sat at the dinner table, and or I think it was in a vehicle, actually, and told him all about her creative sexuality and how she has all these different costumes back at home that she likes to dress up in. Um, and then there was even a, a scene where they were in a hotel room together and she said that Alex, she left the room and Alex ordered a plastic sheet, caramel, ice cream, and chocolate syrup. Uh, so it's pretty clear what was going to go on. Um, did that you think that was a risk day for 2002, merely on TV? Right. That's, That's what I'm going to ask. I think she was very ahead of her time. In what in the way she behaved, I'm not judging her on that. I'm judging her based on the times that, to me, Trista and Shannon were more appealing than she was. Okay. To me, okay. as a as a parent and as a woman, okay, I thought she was a little bit too in your face about her her Such manner. Wrong. No, that's I understand where you're coming from, um, and I'm glad you're not uh, slut shaming her. Um, it does turn out that I was going to say that she actually, so she does have a 10 year old daughter. She revealed that, which obviously is from a prior relationship, but she is engaged. So, um, in a behind the scenes footage, they released, uh, that her boyfriend or her fiance came on the screen and she showed her ring and she's like, we're engaged. Uh, but I don't know when we're getting married because of coronavirus, but, um, she is engaged. So, um, you know, I am happy for her. It sounds like she's found love. She's now uh, 41, I believe. So she was 23 back when this was filmed. Uh, Amanda's now 41. Um, but, yeah, she definitely was pretty risky back in 2002. Um, and Think about women at her age being so risky on television. I mean, she could be risky behind the scenes and not everybody in the world know about it, but Everybody saw this. So she she did not have any inhibitions. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one of your favorite words. Um, all right. Well, let's get to Trista. So, uh, you know, before we get to the finale, uh, Trista is a woman who he falls for all along the way. Um, she tells him that she puts up walls. Um, and he asks her, like, how do you feel about me? And she says, I'm in like, but not in love. Which I was shocked to hear. I mean, I haven't heard uh, someone say that to The Bachelor. I don't think since. You know, I <clears throat> I almost want to say 
how bold of her to be honest with him and tell him she's not really that into him. You know, it doesn't seem to me watching her that she was that into Alex. Um, you know, she's getting down to the final two and she's not in love with him. And she tells him she's putting up walls. And I don't know. I just watching their body language. I didn't think she was that into him. Um, and when he dumped her, so she gets to the final two. She really didn't look that sad. So he dumps Trista. She leaves. Then Amanda comes down. She's in a skinny spaghetti strap dress, has a black shawl. Also reminded me of the fashion back then. I feel like, Mom, you wore a shawl with everything. Do you agree? We didn't really call them shawls. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we would go to Europe and get those things. Uh, but they would go with your clothes. It was a wrap. Okay, people had wraps because they got chilly in air conditioning. But I think she used it for drama. Well, right, of course. But I'm saying that's how people dress when they got dressed up. And I think this is still your style. You'll wear a dress and then a shawl around your arms. And I was watching this and I thought, this is my mother. She's like 18 years behind the trend. <laughs> Maybe so. Don't you think? Didn't you, like, feel a little kinship to her in that moment? Like, oh, my God, that looks like me. I didn't yes, think about did. it. You did? Oh, my no. gosh. That totally what went through my head. Okay. So, anyway, he gets a ring for Amanda. He shows it to her, and he's like, I want to hold on to this for you. Uh, I think that we should get to know each other better outside of this fantasy world, and and then it's, it seems like almost this grand gesture. He asked her to move to California. And she looks so giddy. And I'm like, wait a second. He's asking you to give up your life for him. And you're giddy about that? Like, I don't get this. This is just like, I felt like I was in the 1950s again. Like, I was transported watching this scene. You know, like, he is proposing, hey, I don't want to love you and commit to you for life, but I'd love for you to like come hang out with me in California. We can see how this works out. And she was thrilled. Like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. She said, thank you. I was why, like, wow. But Barely, why do you think women of the 1950s would give up their, uh, their job and move to California because they were on a fantasy world TV program with this guy? I mean, no, they would not. It, they, they would do that more today than they would back in the 50s. People, I mean, if you would just make an effort to have a long-term relationship, like a lot of people have done, even present day, um, I kind of admire him for the fact that he was not ready to propose because he didn't know if this was really the woman for him. And he wanted to know more about her and be with her in a different environment to find out if this was to be right. So I thought that was pretty cool on his part that he wasn't forced to propose. And I'm sure the producers did a great job trying to encourage him to uh, propose. Well, I'm sure of it. Um, but you're right. He didn't know if it was right. So fast forward to now we get an interview with Amanda. She's back in Kansas. Looks like she's had a ton of Botox. Because I almost didn't recognize her face. Did you think she looked the same? No. Didn't she look like a like a different person kind of in her face? 
She did look a little different. Yes, you're right. As in you think she's had work done? I would imagine so. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, so she now lives still in Kansas City. Um, she's engaged. She has a daughter. Uh, so, you know, she appeared to be happy enough. I love that she said, though, she had great opportunities that she passed up, like being in Playboy. <laughs> I Why mean, does that surprise you? I mean, she was flaunting her sexuality and her... Uh, her lack of modesty, you might say, on national TV with The Bachelor. Oh, okay. Well, I was surprised that she would think that's a good opportunity to be in Playboy. Well, in her mindset, it was. I think maybe she went on The Bachelor maybe to have opportunities for her mm. profession. Yeah, I think some of them do go on The Bachelor for that, to get exposure. Well... Quite potentially with Amanda. Uh, so, you know, we wish her well. Um, let's move on to Trista. So what ends up happening in real time, um, Alex Michaels season aired May, I'm sorry, March through May 2002, which would have been the end of my freshman year of high school. Uh, and then later on that fall, they aired Aaron Berge's season. Um Again, they just picked him out of a crowd, just like they picked Alex. Um, so he wasn't a prior contestant. Um, so Aaron Berge's season was that fall. Uh, and then Trista's season was that coming January. So they filmed Trista's season uh, January and February of the following year. Um, so anyway, just kind of giving you a little bit of context for what this all looked like. It went Alex and Aaron in 2002, and then 2003 was Trista Wren, Andrew Firestone, and then Bob Guinea, who you actually saw in Trista's season. They very briefly showed Bob Guinea. He was kind of the funny guy. Uh, he ended up becoming the Bachelor later, so he was the fourth Bachelor. Now, anyway, before I digress. So, Trista's season. All right. What did you think of Trista being the Bachelorette? Were you excited? Do you remember like, oh, we know Trista. I'm excited for this season. Or was it kind of just, oh, it's another show to watch with my high school girls? Oh, I think everybody was thrilled that it was Trista because she was so peppy and vivacious, friendly, upbeat, sparkly. Um, and she was a good person. You saw that in her character. Right. So that makes a great point. She was a great bachelorette. Casting got lucky. And so they made her the bachelorette and everyone watched. This was a change having the first woman. So it was smart. They used someone we were already familiar with. Um, so Trista at the time was 29. Uh, she's now 47. Um, but she was 29 and she, uh, worked in pediatric care for children, but then also was a Miami heat dancer. So that was of course appealing to a lot of men. Um, and the guys in her season were everything from, um, basketball player, mortgage broker, writer, computer programmer, which for 2003, that seems rare, um, and financial analyst. So, yeah, those were her men. Uh, Ryan also was a firefighter. Um, I think that was his profession back then. It was. It was, yeah. Did they market that a lot, like that he was such a good, wholesome guy as a firefighter? I think they marketed the fact that he was cute and he was a poet. Yeah. 
<laughs> and and he had a baby face. You know, he didn't. He was younger than she. Uh, uh-huh. And I think you I think you saw that evidence uh, when you put their faces together. She was she was really quite a doll because she was pretty and petite. And, you know, she knew how to dress. She had pretty good fashion taste. Oh, I don't <laughs> look at that. I didn't know she had great fashion. I mean, well, I saw I like great. I said pretty good fashion taste. Well, for 2002. Yeah, she did. Yeah, because it looked, watching it back, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wow. That's correct. Uh, and her hair was a little orangey. I will agree with that. But she's a beautiful woman. So yes, she really she is. Great. Inside and out. I really think so. Yes, she definitely is. Um, I thought it was so sweet, too. She said, the one thing I want in life is to be in love. And I, I just, I saved that because literally listening to her say that now 18 years later I thought oh my gosh no wonder I loved her so much because as a little teenage girl that's exactly how I felt you know I just like that was all I desired in my life was to be in love um so I thought that was sweet that she said that um okay here was one guy I don't know if you remember this guy they showed one of her top four was this guy Greg who was a, a writer and they showed that he sang to her and he sang, he wrote songs for her and he brought her on a date in central park. So he lived in New York city. Uh, he lived on the lower East side. Um, and he said, Oh, come up to my apartment. And she walks in and she's like so excited because she really likes this guy. He sings to her and she loves that about him. Um, and he's very sweet. And his apartment was this tiny studio, which I didn't think it was that tiny. I mean, it was big enough to fit like a queen size bed and a couch and a bunch of boxes. So, I mean, it maybe was 400 square feet, maybe 450. Um, but I just, I got a kick out of watching this. Like, oh my God, she was like, I hate this. Like, I can't imagine living here. Um, but I was like, this is like a normal, like bachelor pad, especially for a guy back in 2003, who's a musician. I mean, it's at least he lived alone. He lived alone. You know, he wasn't doing that poorly. Well, I'd like to comment on that. First of all, if you know anything about New York City, which you do, that was, he probably was paying quite a bit for that little bungalow, you know? Yes. And uh, the fact that he didn't have a roommate was a, a plus, I believe. But more importantly, guys didn't go into decor like, girls do you know things matching and you know looking really great I think once they find the right lady uh, then they don't mind spending the money on getting the right furnishings for their apartment but most men at in their 20s don't think about that no not at all and even in their early 30s I mean I've known men who just keep an old table they've had from apartment to apartment doesn't matter if they're with roommates or they're by themselves they keep old furniture because it's not broken you know and they're cheap about it um but I mean I will say his apartment looked like a disaster there were so many boxes I was shocked (laughs) watching him get the glass out of the cabinet did you see that he had to like rummage yeah through the cabinet she probably had watched TV shows where people had these beautiful apartments in New York, and she probably envisioned that's what it was. 
And you know the difference in a Miami uh, apartment and a New York apartment. You have experienced that, the value of what, you know, money can uh, get per month. So, you know, probably what he was paying for that little apartment um, equaled a really nice place in Miami. Uh, That's a great point. And that's actually part of what I was thinking, too. You know, we have to remember that Trista was coming from Miami before she did the show. Um, And let me just give you the equivalent to my listeners. So for $300 a month more, and mind you, we're in the thousands of dollars. So we're not talking rent under a grand. We're talking around two grand. Um, So my apartment in Miami for what I paid um, was what eight eight nine hundred square feet it had a balcony it was in a luxury building with a gym and a pool and um you know it was a one bedroom a true one bedroom great shower situation shower and bath beautiful beautiful apartment right for more money right for more money three hundred dollars more a month my then fiance had about 400 square feet and a fifth floor walk up. So he, I, I got to take an elevator. He had a walk up, tiny apartment, one tiny window, uh, the crappiest bathroom. I hated his bathroom. Um, and, you know, barely any kitchen space to cut vegetables, you know, barely any counter space. So, yes, the reality is what you get in Miami or several other cities is much more for your for your money than what you get in New York city. So I just thought this was like comical because now you don't get to see the contestants apartments. You don't, this is not something they do on the bachelor anymore. They don't go back to the contestants homes. They go to their parents' homes. So, and, and sometimes even that it's not really the parents real house. It's like a family friend's house or the aunt's house. So, um, I loved this scene. I was so glad to see this scene that they, you know, they went to Greg's real New York City apartment. I mean, it looked like he had just moved in and he just kept the boxes there, you know, like he had so many boxes. I didn't, it didn't make sense. And he but was he just was messing. showing her, you know, there's nothing phony about me. Yeah. You know, I'm not putting on airs. This is the true me. This is, you know, I'm a musician and, but this is where I live. You know, he wasn't ashamed. Or he would never have suggested he take her there. And I think that reality set in with her. Like, is this what I have to look forward to? Yeah, that's not what Trista wanted. So, uh, yeah, too bad. So he left the show. So anyway, we get to her final two. I don't know who her third person was, her top three. But her final two were Charlie and Ryan. And Charlie was a financial analyst. Very handsome, looked very put together, um, acted very kind. Um, he just seemed like a really sweet guy. I had forgotten about this guy. Um, but really, really nice. I loved watching their interactions. Um, I don't know if there was a lot of like sexual chemistry between the two of them, but they definitely enjoyed each other's company. Uh, and when she broke up with him, he honestly didn't seem that heartbroken. He handled it with class. You know, he wished her well. He called her sweetheart. Um, He said, I'll miss you, sweetheart. And uh, now he's doing pretty great. Looks like he has a big home in Phoenix, beautiful kitchen. Uh, He has a family, he has a wife, he has a daughter. So, yeah, 
I mean, I was I was really happy to see these these old people from the previous seasons. You know, in Alex's season, we got to revisit with a few of the women. In Trista's season, we visited with Chris, and um, and it was just nice, didn't you think? Like this was probably my favorite part of the episode was these catch ups with old castmates. Yeah, I you know I, I now after seeing it the other night, I really liked him. I saw a lot of strength in his character and he really wanted to fall in love and find a soulmate. That was really important to him. And frankly, if the fireman had not been on the show, she probably would have ended up with him Mm -hmm. and probably would have had a great life with him, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's, he's got great qualities of he's steady uh, she can count on him, and it's very obvious that he waited also um, to marry because he's got a young child, mm-hmm. and his wife is, seems to be very sweet and pretty, and he wanted to share his wife and daughter, you know, with Chris, so he's he's complete now, mm-hmm. and he feels that way, they, but the two guys were totally different, you know, the one that she ended up with. Um, was such a sensitive, kind, caring guy and wrote the poetry and... Poetry? Say poetry again. Poetry. Poetry. Yeah. Anyway, I liked him too. I didn't think... I thought she was going to end up with Charlie. Really? Yeah. Oh, when we were watching it back in 2003. Yes, yes. I thought that's who she would end up with. Uh, I actually kind of remember this. I think maybe you and Kathleen, my sister, liked Charlie more, and I liked Ryan. Because I definitely remember rooting for Ryan. So when we watched this, so at this point, yeah, so this was the next year. So I was now a sophomore in high school. Um, and my sister was off in college, but I'm, I know she still watched it. So we probably still talked on the phone about it. Um, but you're right. At this point, it was been you and I watching. And I know we watched this together. Like, I we remember... Definitely like like we watched the first season. Um, and so that's funny that you remember really liking Charlie, which makes sense because that's the sort of man that you find. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not. Well, I just thought it'd be interesting to hear she's going to marry this fireman, you know, in Colorado. And she's from Miami. I mean, she's used to kind of a cosmopolitan style. You know, she's a, she's a dancer for the Miami Heat. And she's going to go out to Colorado and, you know, it's a different lifestyle. And that's a good point. They, they actually, back then, they focused a lot on, like, what their life would be after the show. Because, mm-hmm. right, Charlie lived in California. She lived in Miami. That's right. They didn't focus that, on that on the recap. But when we watched the show, they did a lot of focus on that. Like, oh, would she really go to Colorado and live with this guy? And Dem- I think he lived in Denver at the time. Yeah, and, and being a fireman is kind of a dangerous job, whereas Charlie was in in a job that uh, didn't promote danger. I mean, anything can happen, but, I mean, it was, you know, a... He's in finance. He, yeah. he would wear a suit every day to work, okay, and, and maybe travel by plane or car, but, you know, Ryan was going to be out risking his life. With fires and, you know, they, they have a lot of wildfires in Colorado. And I thought at the time, do you really think this is what you want? You know, this lifestyle is so different from what we had been told about her life. Now, we don't really know 
what her, we, we don't really know what her life was really like in Miami. Mm-hmm. But you're but just assuming that because of we what were Miami just assuming is. assuming at that time that Charlie, I assumed that Charlie would be the better fit for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, right. And I think I have always been a romantic and I loved that he wrote her poetry. I just, I literally remember melting, like watching this season. And this was better to me than any movie. Like the Bachelor Trista season was better to me than any romance, like the notebook. It was not as, the notebook was great because the notebook came out around this time too. Uh, yeah, like right around this time. It To me, this was way better than the notebook. This was way better than, uh, you know, some Disney movie that I had watched as a child. Like, this was a love story. A guy, you had one guy who wrote you music. Now you have a guy who writes you poetry. I mean, this just like spoke to me as a young girl. Uh, and I, in my head, I thought, God, there, nothing could be better. Nothing could be better than a guy who's so romantic and wants to just woo me. And he always had very interesting ways to tell her how beautiful she looked. You know, like the first night he said she looked ravishing. Oh, I remember that. And, you know, <laughs> I have to tell you something, Marilee. I was impressed with the fact that he was writing her poetry from the day one because he he did show immediately his romantic side. Mm-hmm. And also it showed me he's very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And she became very quickly attached to that. Yes. I think producers did a really good job of hiding it, you know, and like, um, editing out how their intense connection a little bit, just because otherwise it would have been very obvious. Um, but yeah, their love story is just literally one for the books. Um, I loved, he said this, I'm not falling in love anymore. I'm submersed in it. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just the way he spoke, you know, it's, you believed it. And obviously I believe it here. They are what almost 18 years later, still married have two children, beautiful children. Um, yeah. They look so like their daddy. I think they look like both of them. I think they're, they're cute. I thought it was interesting. He felt like he, you know, why I was so lucky she chose me. He still feels that way today. And they, they are an adorable all American apple pie couple. You know, if nothing else, it made you feel and have after 9-11, you know, we, we were in such sadness, you know, of all the loss of lives from 9-11, the tragedy. And here we have this beautiful love story of Trista and Ryan, and it just gave it, it people a lot of hope because with the first season of The Bachelor, nothing came of that. And yet with the first season of The Bachelorette, we have a year later this very beautiful wedding on television. That was kind of a first. And yeah. the fact that they're still married today and happy and she's the same. I mean, she's so cute and jovial and upbeat and full of personality. And he's he's the serious one, you know? <laughs> very clearly. He is the serious one and she is the happy-go-lucky one. So they're a good balance for one another. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. He was was adorable. I mean, he was a very handsome man. Oh, incredibly. And, you know, 
and one thing that made him so appealing was he was a firefighter. You know, he was athletic and strong and courageous. And and I've actually, I've since learned that he played for the uh, Baltimore Ravens briefly as well. Oh, really? Yeah, before all of this. And he, this is the so interesting part about it. It's like, he didn't come on the show marketing himself as like, Oh yeah, I'm a former football player, but now I'm a firefighter and like, yeah, I, I just love saving people. You know, he wasn't like selling himself, which is just he's just very humble. Just yes, his character. I'll just say to you, the thing that impressed me again, and I I thought from day one he was a humble gentleman, that he was the type of person that any mother in America would be happy for their daughter to date. And see where it went because he was a good person and he was doing a job that was helping and serving others. Mm -hmm. He was not out for himself. Definitely. No, I think their, their love story is incredible. And um, yeah, they're just an adorable, adorable couple. So we do catch up with her. Um, so, okay, so again, her season aired in 2003. Their, her season aired January to March, which means it was filmed probably in that fall. And then they got married that December. So right around my birthday. Yeah, oh my gosh, I do remember this. It was so right around my birthday. another year. Exactly, about a year total. Um, and I think she moved to Colorado, didn't she, Marilyn? She did. She definitely moved to Colorado. I love that Chris Harrison reminded us 20 million viewers watch their wedding, which is saying a lot. Like I, I want to note that is saying a lot. Uh, the bachelor didn't even get that many viewers. Their wedding was getting more viewers than an average episode. No, there's no, we, the show never actually has never hit 20 million viewers. The fact that their wedding had 20 million viewers, there was never an episode. The average the highest the average ever was was just under 14 million. So 20 That's million. That's amazing. Isn't I know it, it's clearly telling you they cared more about the wedding than they cared about the season. Everyone tuned in for their wedding. And you make a great point, mom, that this was two years after nine 11. Our country was, I mean, going through so much. I knew so many men and women in high school who graduated and then would choose to go into the military uh, or go to the various academies. Um, because that's people who wanted to help, wanted to serve and serve our country. And here we had this gentleman who's serving as a firefighter and his adorable wife to be Trista, who just, you know, is America's sweetheart. She really was. She didn't choose financial security. She chose love. So that's, and that's very inspirational to young women, you know, here they're seeing this young woman who's probably could have any man she wanted. I mean, come on. And she chose somebody who was a sweetheart. Yep. I think it was a great message for America. And I mean, obviously Chris Harrison still has a very good relationship with both Tristan and Ryan. Um, she has been on so many seasons of the bachelorette and, um, you know, they had, they had an episode a few years ago, right before Hannah's season, where all the bachelorettes got together and uh, Trista was there, of course, as the original. And all of the women just love her and they just look up to her. Um, and uh, she's obviously the oldest by a few years. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, it was, it was really nice seeing this, this old, old episode of where it was in the beginning. Um, I'm glad Chris brought in Ryan who they've said he's training at the Denver fire Academy. So I'm kind of confused by this, but it's, he basically, he worked in Fort Collins for several years. So, and I think, I thought he retired as a firefighter. I think he wanted to go into a different profession and did for a while. And for whatever reason came to a decision that really was not for him. And that's why he's back into the firefighting world. And that's why he's going through this drill again. And I don't know if he's going to be in Denver. I don't, where do they live, Marilee? Yeah, they, they don't live in Denver. So that's why I'm saying it's very interesting that he would go all the way to Denver. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't understand the firefighting world. So if anyone knows that world and wants to write in and explain it, I would love some feedback. Gosh, I mean, I don't know. I just have some random things to note. Um, do you remember Lenise from, uh, the first season, the only black girl? Yes. So I watched, I listened to an interview she did and she said that she dated before she came on the show. Her boyfriend was Bill Maher. Don't you know who Bill Maher is? No, who's that? Yes, you do. He's a political commentator. He's like in his 60s. He's he's a good 24 years older than her. Really? Yeah. And you told you me remember? she was 23 on the show. Yeah. So she was pretty young oh, dating Oh, now him. I know who Bill Maher is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she had dated him. That's unbelievable. Right. So it kind of just shows me, like, I think some in that first season, even there were a few like opportunists, so to speak, Uh, maybe her, maybe Amanda, not that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, But yeah, it looks like Trista was, you know, I think I just want to kind of remind viewers and listeners back then and all of these seasons, you know, if you talk about think about Ryan and Charlie and uh, even the guy in New York uh, and Jamie, the basketball player they all were really coming on this show for love. They weren't doing this to further a career. You know, this was kind of career suicide in a way to come on the show. Um, so if these guys were coming on the show and women, it was because they actually really wanted love deep down. And, um, and I think that's the difference with what, how the way the show is now. I think a lot of these girls know that they're going to get um, sponsors and they're going to make more money if they the far longer they stay on the show, the more people will like them and view their story. And afterwards, they'll get more followers. And um, well, it's I, like I, online dating has become, you know, it was a way to get exposure. 25 uh, gentlemen coming on, 25 men for Trista, and then she, you know, eliminates them over a period of time. It was an opportunity for her to meet at one time this group and from all over the country out, right, right. To flush out who she liked and who she didn't like you know first impressions obviously and then she knew them a little bit better same thing with the bachelor and let's face it this was a new beginning with the bachelor and they didn't know if this would even be really broadcast by a network they thought it would but you know how successful it would be they had no idea until it had happened right right and you bring up online dating um you know, back then there was like eHarmony and there was probably Match.com, I think. But uh, I know eHarmony was around at least a few years later. So it had to have been around by then. But 
You're right. She wouldn't have had any reason to date a guy in another state otherwise. You know, if she lived in Florida, she doesn't have any means to meet a guy in California or in Colorado or in Texas. So, um, you know, this reality show was really cool for people to watch and say, see, oh, wow, I could live in Texas and I could date someone or find the love of my life who's from Kansas or from Tennessee or New York. And to sum it all up, in the beginning, it wasn't about sex. In the beginning, it was about love. And it was a very wholesome TV show that you allowed me to watch as a young 15-year-old. Um, we watched every Monday night. And and I forgot, sometimes the season aired on Wednesday nights. So the show was not always Monday night, which, by the way, that's going to change again. So it's uh, Claire's season coming up this fall is going to air on Tuesday nights. Yeah, you didn't know that. No. So it's it's kind of unfortunate. Um, I, I forget why. I think it's like Monday night football or something. But um, so well, they, they don't have, the... have Monday night football merely. <laughs> Good point. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Well, have as... they already taped this or they're taping it? So it's I'm glad you asked. So it has been revealed from Reality Steve that um, there's two different resorts. We're not 100% sure which resort they're at. But we can say with certainty they are all... The Bachelor production is taking over a resort in California. All of the contestants and Claire should have already arrived or they should be arriving in the next few days as we speak. This is the second week of July right now. And they will be quarantined for over a week. And then my guess is that they're going to begin filming. Uh, they usually begin filming on a Friday. That's just standard how it's always been. They begin on that first night on a Friday night. And the way they do filming the first weekend, it's, it's literally almost 24 hours, right? They start in the evening. They film all night long till like 6, 7 in the morning. They do still doing ITMs, like in-the-moment interviews. And then, you know, the boys go back to the house. Claire goes back to where she's staying. And they all sleep all day Saturday. And then they resume filming again on Sunday. Um, so... Or maybe it's they, they sleep on Saturday. Production has Sunday off as like a rest day because production was just up for 24 hours. And then they begin on Monday. But um, all that to say, my guess is that's going to happen next weekend, which will be July 17th, that they will actually start filming. They should be filming for five or six weeks. And then the season will air in September. So that's what we have to look forward to. Um I'm pumped about Claire. I've already spoken about this, but mom, before we let you go, just tell my listeners, do you like Claire? Do you remember Claire? And what are your thoughts on um, what you're looking forward to in this next season? I think it's interesting uh, that some of the bachelors are quite a bit younger than she. So she'll be a cougar. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be entertaining. And I definitely am going to watch this season with Claire because I like her. She's genuine. And she's got worlds of experience in her 30s over being in her 20s. So mm -hmm. she's going to be able to probably quickly determine who she really feels is worthy of her. Not she is worthy of them, but they're worthy of her. Totally agree. Well, I can't wait for that. Uh, again, that'll air this September. Um, Mom, thanks so much 
for coming on the podcast. Well, this has been a first for me, Merrily. I've never been on a podcast, and <laughs> it's been fun. I hope I've given some information that people um, enjoyed hearing. Well, I think they enjoy just Southern accent. That's what you I think. think. So, honey. Yeah, yeah. I think they <laughs> like it. They probably know that you can impersonate people, Marilee. Yeah, yeah. My name's Kay Green, Kay Green, Kay Green. <laughs> I have a security system. Uh, what else did you say? <laughs> I have no guns in the house. That's what you said. I have no guns in the house. I have a security system, so the girls will not be getting outside. All right, I think that's a wrap. On the Wings of Love is hosted by me, Marilee Green, produced by Chelsea Dick-Smith, with music by Purple Planet. Thanks so much for listening to On the Wings of Love. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, On the Wings of Love, a bachelor's podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at On the Wings of Love Podcast. Please comment, rate, and subscribe. We would love to have your reviews, and I'll see you guys next time.